Welcome to the Bodily Transgressions in Fantasca Media podcast series. We hope you enjoy the series. If you have any questions or comments, we invite you to attend the Digital Symposium, which will take place on 12th November 2022 via Zoom. The event will be free, or drop us a line on our Discord server. Details are on the podcast information or can be found at fantasticajournals.com under CFP's events and news. That's Fantastica with a K. This podcast is part of Panel 5, Cyborg Bodies, which will take place at 5 p.m. GMT time. Ida Begum Error is an independent researcher who recently completed her MA in English Literature at Bogazikci University in Istanbul, Turkey. She is currently preparing for her PhD studies. Her areas of interest include science fiction, dystopian narratives, eco-criticism, and feminist new materialism. Her podcast today is entitled Proof That Tony Stark Has a Heart. A look at the notion of the cyborg and transcorporeality through the bodily modification of heart surgery with the help of NCU's Iron Man. This paper serves as a prologue to a larger book project on our metal connections to the world. Focusing on the metals inside the body, including braces, joint replacements, pacemakers, and particularly to my personal interest, dance, and how metal is used to redirect the blood flow inside the body. I hope to analyze the different ways in which our bodies have been made desperate for metallic help. Focusing on Donna Haraway's concept of the cyborg and what feminist eco-critic Stacey Alemo terms as the transcorporeal existence of the human body, I look at the ways in which metal helps us to be in optimal health and the existential connotations and horror of unnecessary cyborgness of living. In the following excerpt about stents, mechanical woes and any sort of metallic modification to the heart, to offer visual and emotional stimuli beyond personal experience, a popular figure, Iron Man, is considered. The medical trauma and emotional suffering the character Tony Stark goes through after a life-altering injury that makes him a figure that is more than human, or better than human, is altered by showing his emotional and romantic growth which is emphasized by the famous saying for his arc reactor, what keeps him alive and a superhero, the proof that Tony Stark has a heart. The metallic modification as portrayed in the figure of Tony Stark throughout several box office hit movies has resulted beyond its intended purpose, to keep the body alive, or more importantly, to keep it human. The metal appendage has psychological consequences beyond its non-living help to alter the body. In a day and age where this sort of medical marvel has started to be widespread beyond the scope of science fiction and superhero movies, we need to once again renegotiate our concept of bodily existence, wholeness and the cyborg. Perhaps, soon enough one day, the concept of having a heart or having a body needs to be altered. 1. The idea of this podcast is scary. It suggests that my thoughts alone weren't enough. They had to be transcribed on paper, or in my case, an old laptop that has been my companion since my senior year in the university. Then they had to be read aloud to be recorded by a machine. My phone which holds all my information, all my entertainment. Before it was recognized as a part of me. The section I am about to read is a part of a larger body of work that is on its way to existence. It is becoming. Slowly. Deliberately. Through contemplation and literature review to put my thought onto words. Words onto paper. Onto the keyboard. On recording. The working title of this book is called Metal is My Body. The book is not about an artificial way of living, of becoming robots. Instead, it looks at the smaller ways in which metal permeates or becomes a part of our bodily existence.
To me, this idea started long before I found myself a student of the humanities. It was after I saw Anakin Skywalker burn and remade into Darth Vader in the movie theater in 2005. But before Marvel movies gained such a worldwide existence with the release of the first Avengers movie in 2012. I'm giving quite a time frame for it, but it encompassed my teenage years. All my existential questions, my identity, was by part shaped by these movies, these characters, and meshed in my own teenage traumas. A little bit of context before I start earnestly. I got two pulmonary stents in 2009, some mild complications. I was almost 13 years old, in love with fantasy and science fiction and full of doubt about my own body and the realization that it was different than my peers. I was and am perfectly healthy for someone like me. That differentiation was the key. It started with a consolation, my intellectual journey. Have it ended up in the figure of Tony Stark? I can only blame the widespread cultural worship for the character. I write this on a computer. It is quite a good one, bought for me by my grandmother as a graduation present. It looks pretty and shiny and metal. Not what I wanted, but it works well. I wanted the MacBook so bad. I don't know why. I see it in academia that nature writers, environmentalists, eco-critics do this exercise a lot. They write down what they see the moment they are writing about their research. They connect their external world to the writing to create a sort of ecosystem, an ecology in which their work can prosper. I am writing on my computer gazing at the forest outside my window, the ocean, the squirrels chirp outside, the dogs bark, the birds. I am sitting in a Starbucks booth with two old other people typing on their notebooks, a bitter taste of coffee in my mouth, paid through an app on my phone to collect points, holding my pee. That is the only natural thing about my circumstances. 3. It started as a joke between my father and I. Not big deal, you see. He had gotten a platinum disc on his neck two years earlier. I would be getting some metal enhancement myself. I think a lot, I think. To a girl who already loved science fiction and clung to fantasy as a lifeline, I was offered my first computer, a white sleek MacBook, as a present after. I connected the dots differently now, having been embraced in feminist and posthumanitarians. I don't know if this meant the same back then, I just remember my life being completely changed, and I don't remember if it was the stent or the computer that did it. All my life, I've been told my heart is not a big deal, and it is not, not really, but all my life it made me feel inferior nonetheless, inferior, incomplete, insufficient, not working at the maximum or indeed sufficient capability without enhancements. Cyborg enhancement enhance something less, something broken. This may not be strictly true, but it is what I learned growing up. We don't at least, not yet, seek them out to enhance something that is already complete. That we need them suggests some sort of lack on our parts. All the characters I felt close to and wrote about, it was an attempt to make peace with this. But characters like Darth Vader or the Winter Soldier they wore their metal. It was not something they were proud about, but it wasn't something they could hide either. Tony Stark could take off the majority of the metal that made him Iron Man, and the rest was hidden away under heavy metal themed t-shirts. We always put metal above the skin. How is it so fundamentally different to put it underneath? Why is it a skin that 
delineates our borders. This is an issue feminist studies studied extensively. Stacey Alemo, in her book Exposed, notes that material feminist sense of the human as undeniably corporeal. Any notion of transcorporeality, porosity, and exposition in her work arises from the acceptance that one mater this one material fact, to talk about delineating or discussing the position of the metal vis-a-vis -vis the body, first we must talk about it in its bodily existence. Alemo, through the concept of transcorporeality, offers a reality in which different material bodies, not only human, are intermingled. She writes, For the transcorporeal subject, ethics and politics are always here and now, practiced through and within fraught tangled materialities. Indeed, feminist new materialism, alongside its male, or dare I say, scientific counterparts, is interested in the relation of the human body as a corporeal thing with its surroundings, while names like Alema talk about porous borders that allow interaction or interaction in Karen Bird's terms with the others, the cyborg altercations of Haraway. Perhaps it is wrong of me to put my roots in the parts of posthumanism that study the insignificant human body among the rest of the nature when my focus is very egoistical. I am, for the scope of this paper alone, solely interested in the human body, my body. Even Tony Stark is a distraction. But a lot of the confusion stems from this exemption of the human existence from the rest of the universe. It is us who alienated the metal from our organics in the first place. Let me introduce a quote from posthumanist Catherine Hales here. If my nightmare is a culture inhabited by posthumans who regard their bodies as fashion accessories, rather than the ground of being, my dream is a version of the posthuman that embraces the possibilities of information technologies without being seduced by fantasies of unlimited power and disembodied immortality, that recognizes and celebrates finitude as a condition of human being, and that understands human life is embedded in a material world of great complexity, one on which we depend on our continued survival. Quoting Bruno Latour, Stacey Alema writes, we have never been human in the first place. The divide between us and the nature was a faulty one to begin with. Any step that followed after that took us to this complex, ill-fitted cyborgness of being is guilt-ridden with our own ignorance and shortcomings. <clears throat> 4. I don't want to include prosthetics into the scope of this talk. First, I am not qualified to talk about the experiences and feelings of those who live with prosthetics every day. I can't even begin to imagine what people with prosthetics feel and deal with those feelings. Visible, feelable metal is not the point of this chapter. I am interested in the metal you hide. My metal is beneath, unseen, unfelt, but there nonetheless. I couldn't feel it, but it made me feel different. But where did this difference stem from? Why did it exist? And why had I become so uncomfortable in a body that had physically become more comfortable? Could this little difference make me cyborg as my father and I had joked? Did I want to become a cyborg? Just why did I have so many questions about something that had to be done to save my life in the long run? 5. Donna Haraway, in her famous cyborg manifesto, writes that a cyborg is a hybrid creature composed of organism and machine. She continues, the boundary between science fiction and social reality is an optical illusion. Haraway's cyborg is a brainchild of a socio-feminist mind, 
She is the female warrior who stands up against the white male Christian minds of the world, a hero of postmodern times. I, like the most of my generation, saw the highest grossing movie of all time, Avengers Endgame in the theaters. Everyone clapped for the scene where the female heroes arrived to save the day. The iron-suited Tony Stark's wife, who debuts as a suit-wearing warrior for the first time here, as opposed to the previous Iron Man movie where she was first rescued by a suit, then made a superhero through chemical means, is aptly named Rescue. A woman who starts as a secretary to rise up to the rank of CEO, and then survivor, as well as a mother. Would it be rude to say Pepper is more, than a, more a cyborg than Tony? who almost died for it in the deserts of Afghanistan, a perfect cure written story? The cyborg question today is not about women alone, as it was when it first started in Donna Haraway's idle thoughts, but it was women who felt uncomfortable enough in their bodily existence to raise the question. I had felt uncomfortable enough in various different ways to get there too. It has been more than a decade, but I remember worrying not about the technicalities of it, but that I was on my period and the doctors would see. Even when I was laid down on the cold operation room with dozens of screens to track the catheter, a regular procedure turned into a nightmare in a child's mind. I was worried about blood seeping down my gun because I was too young to wear tampons. Does this make you feel uncomfortable? The sphere switched from metal stands to the metal scant of my blood that scared me more. There was a time I wouldn't have been able to include this in my writing, but that part disintegrated in the narrative of the woman who sought out bodily independence and identity through such daily worries. It is the reason why we claim, or are branded as more corporate. I have never been too womanly, nor cared about nature enough to warrant my academic interest in the, la in it, in the last couple of years. Writing my master's thesis, my focus was on the science fiction aspects of it, even though the female characters crept along the lines to seek me out. I am not too sorry to add Tony Stark to the long list of characters, as one might with Victor Frankenstein, the father who gave birth to his science project, whose relationship with his science was wholly material and maternal to the cost of his own bodily integrity. Indeed, most eco-feminists do not alienate male characters from their research, the stand is against masculine heteronormativity when it is unjustly celebrated, when the masculine is associated with the intellect, which might be the case for Tony Stark, but it is shown not to be true in a stark contrast against other male characters such as Captain America, or even Hulk in his interactions with the T-Man with his children, including here as Peter Parker or MCU Spider-Man. Haraway interrupts here. By the late 20th century, our time, a mythic time, we are all chimeras, terrorized and fabricated hybrids of machine and organism. In short, we are cyborgs. The cyborg is our ontology. It gives us our poetics. The cyborg is a con condensed image of both imagination and material reality, the two joint centers structuring any possibility of historical transformation. In the traditions of Western science and politics, the traditional racist, male-dominant capitalism, the tradition of progress, the tradition of the appropriation of nature as a resource for productions of culture, the tradition of reproduction of the self from the reflections of the other, the relation between organism and machine has been a border war. Iron Man exists, because it has to. 
Iron Man exists in Tony Stark's efforts to change his father's company that sells guns to one, to one that sells clean energy and technological advancement for the betterment of humanity. What makes Tony Stark so special? In the first Avengers movie, confronting the man who stole his father's attention all his childhood years, Tony Stark faces Captain America, big man in a suit of armor. Take that away, and what are you? Genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. Tony Stark is all that, but he is still deeply human underneath, with a body that is weaker than the rest, kept alive by metal. Without the arc reactor in his chest that allows him to be a superhero, he wouldn't even be alive. The whole of Iron Man 3 explores this narrative, Tony without his suits, without his wealth, living as a mechanic. Step towards the establishment of woman identities and female empowerment. The idea that the speculum is connected to the idea of sight, which I find disturbed in the introduction of cameras and pornography. Technology blurs the boundaries between empowerment and violation. Such violation is in the nature of surgery, where the human body is necessarily penetrated without consent. A part of this narrative is necessarily sexual and turns towards rape, but boldly and personally gro- integrity is hardly a matter of concern when one life is on the line. I can feel my stance, yet the hardly visible scar on my bikini line has bothered me more than those on my chest from open-heart surgeries, which were arguably there from the start, from the moment I looked into the mirror and saw them as a part of myself. It is worth questioning why something a lot less bothers me more besides the obvious fact of teenage or preteen trauma. I gave my consent to surgery on prime parents that because it was the less invasive, easiest way. I was fortunate enough to avoid open surgery, yet the fact that it was something that was done on the place where I must not be touched, on my period nonetheless, bothered me more than doctors seeing my breasts, or so- something I have never been shy of growing up. Pepper is the only one Tony trusts to penetrate his body like that. Back to Tony. Pepper says, don't ever, ever, ever ask me to do something like that ever again, after she is made to put uh, the arc reactor back in Tony's body. And Tony says, I don't have anyone but you. Later, Pepper gives Tony the arc reactor in a case and writes, proof that Tony Stark has a heart. How does this relate back to me? Are my stunts proof that I have a heart? Certainly, I have seen my heart through many mediums over the years. Once every year I'm reminded that it beats, and beats in a certain way that change that changes may cause new bodily modifications in my future to ensure my life on the planet. This alone does not make me a cyborg in a way it does Tony Stark, but I am part of a medical set of representations, connected to machines through modifications to make sure they continue to sustain me. It's such a small part of metal that has changed my bodily existence and my mental frame forever. No one put a hand inside my chest to put it there. They might have done and they did for other things. And they didn't turn me into a superhero. Though they say your battle scars show that you're a superhero. That you have survived. But this unseen seems like a figment of my imagination. <clears throat> Stacy Alemo defines transcorporeality as thus. Transcorporeality means all creatures, as embodied beings, are intermeshed with the dynamic material world which crosses through them, transforms them, and is transformed by them. While transcorporeality as an ontology does not exclude any living creature, it does begin with the human. In order to disrupt Western human exceptionalism, 
to which Tony Stark says, some people say, progress is a bad thing, but try having a magnet in your chest, keeping you alive. 6. Avengers Endgame came to the theaters April 2019. It became the highest grossing movie of all time, and its most engaging scene was that of Iron Man after the Infinity Gauntlet, one of his own making, burned away half his body. Tony Stark died with his wife saying, you can rest now. On his funeral, instead of a corpse, the arc reactor, encased with the letters proof that Tony Stark has a heart, was set to the river. Tony Stark is one of the exceedingly rare characters in fiction who manages to establish himself as cyborg, first through external intervention by a doctor to save him, but later completely through his own efforts and autonomy. He continues to be Iron Man even after his heart is fixed, after all is said and done and he wakes up from the surgery in Iron Man 3, he realizes that the cyborg identity he has built for himself has surpassed his bodily dependence on the metal. His choices for it are intermingled with his relationship with his wife, but through that connection he finds courage to realize what most men don't, that his connection with the metal is one of his own choosing and connection. We live in a time where our freedoms have become our prisons. I wouldn't be able to write or read this text without the metal around me. I wouldn't be able to breathe properly without it either. The rest of the little but vital metal connections in my project, like keys and wedding bands and needles, all play a vital connection and interaction with metals that force our physical and psychological borders. At times we find they are worth more than our bodily existence. They matter more, not just in value, but in their existence are more corporeal than our thoughts, our feelings and ideas that have now come to depend on them. 7. My body is metal. From the iron in my blood to the stents on my pulmonary artery to the glasses I wear to see what I'm supposed to say right now. We live in a time where metal connections are inescapable. For some, this prison is more internal than others. Tony Stark's journey until the end and the way he has learned to manage his relationship with the metal gives me hope. And I hope this little excerpt that you are listening from a headphone or a speaker makes you think. Hit pause, and the connection is no longer there, but are you still connected to the metal?